everybody. Good to be here. Good to have you here. Thank you for listening. Thanks for tuning in. I have a very stiff neck right now. I can't really move my body in a very free and liberated way. And it's it's an interesting adjustment. Actually, it's been like this for over a week now. Yeah, for over a week, my neck and my my shoulders have been extremely stiff. And I don't know what my body is trying to communicate to me, but I'm just trying to understand this as information. Yeah. A couple of big things did happen last weekend. I won't go into the details of it, but I think that has something to do with it. I think it's my body saying that my brain is trying to deal with too many burdensome things right now. A lot of other people's burdens are are weighing down on me at the moment. That's what it means. And I don't know what to do about it other than write it out. Let this pass. Uh, everything passes. Everything changes. So that's what I'm waiting for. And uh, it'll be okay. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to convince myself of. It'll all be okay. Quick announcement. I think I mentioned this before, but I'm going to be in Anchorage, Alaska for the Before You Die Comedy Festival, which is running from April 5th all the way till April 10th. But I will be there from April 5th till April 8th. Okay, so I'm going to be in Anchorage, Alaska. And on April 8th, I will be doing a live recording of K-Drama School with some comedian guests. And I know that I haven't had a lot of guests on my podcast in the last several episodes. Uh, Dr. Hom was an exception. Uh, Tobias Hauser was another exception earlier in the year. And today's guest is another exception, but overall, I have not really been doing flashcard series. And I am going to do the flashcard series with my upcoming guests on April 8th. So if there is a K-drama that I've covered so far that I did not do a flashcard series with, then now is the time to put in that request. If there's a show that I covered so far that you would like me to do a flashcard series with a comedian during the uh, April 8th live recording of K-Drama School, then just email me or comment in the comment box just the title of the show and just say flashcard series, please. Then I'll know. I will make note of it and I will consider it and I will make flashcard series to make you all laugh with my comedian guest on April 8th. So that is coming up. <laughs> Today I'm going to be talking about the show Crash Course in Romance starring Chun Doyeon and Jung Kyung-ho, which is on Netflix if you're living in the United States, probably in some other countries. But if you're in South Korea, you know and you love this show because you've been watching it on TVN. Jung Kyung-ho is a very familiar face in K-dramas because we've all seen him in Hospital Playlist. We also saw him again in Prison Playbook. But if you are like me and you have been watching old school K-dramas and you've definitely seen him on the show, I'm sorry, I love you. Yeah, he plays the character Jun on that show and he's so fucking annoying. He's like the most annoying character on that show. And maybe that show just forever tainted my image of Jung Kyung-ho for life because every time I see Jung Kyung-ho in every new K-drama that he's in, I'm just like not impressed by him. I'm like, this guy sucks. Like, I don't like him. Yeah, he sucks. So 
even if he's playing the lead even he's even if he's playing the protagonist that all the girls are supposed to fawn over i'm like he's not attractive he's not manly he's he's like he's got nothing he's he's very annoying actually he's good at playing annoying i'll give him that yeah and you know what the character chichia is a little bit annoying he's like a tad annoying yeah he's he's uh what koreans would call chesuopso yeah yeah chesuopso just means like i don't know um you know brings brings uh like ruins ruins good fortune that's what chisupsa means but it, you can also replace it with you know calling somebody an asshole or calling somebody annoying that's chisupsa so for me like jung kyung ho is a tad chisupsa he's a tad annoying yeah and he's good at playing annoying he's good at playing chechia chechia is a tad chisupsa jung kyung ho has been in korean tv dramas for many years now like 20 years now okay he's he's what you would call a veteran okay but uh, if you have not seen Korean TV shows or films like that go past 10 years ago, then you are not as familiar with the lead protagonist of this show who plays Nam Hengsan. Okay, Chun Doyeon is the lead on this show and you probably haven't seen her in K-dramas as of late because she hasn't really done too many K-dramas in her career. Uh, Chun Doyeon is a veteran actress and she's been in the Korean entertainment industry since the year 1990. And she has a very prolific and successful career as both a K-drama and Korean film actress. But I would say that she's more renowned for her big screen roles rather than her small screen roles. So uh, I already covered this show, but in 1997, she was in the show Star of My Heart and she was not the lead. She was a supporting, yes, she was a supporting uh, friend on that show in 1997. And then uh, around that same year, she was in a romance drama called uh, The Contact or something, which was a huge box office success. But in the year 1999, two years after that, she starred in a in a film called Harmonium in My Heart, uh, opposite Lee Byung-hun. Yeah, so a huge Hallyu actor. So she did that. That movie was a big box office success as well. She did other movies. She did Happy End. She did Untold Scandal. She was also in My Mother, The Mermaid, which is a very good movie. I highly recommend it. Kodushim is in that. She was also in You Are My Sunshine which is a really interesting film that covers like HIV and AIDS as a theme. Yeah, check that out. Uh, Chun Doyeon also stars in the Korean auteur filmmaker Yi Chang-dong's movie called Secret Sunshine, which I believe she won an award at Cannes uh, when that film came out. Yeah, she, she won the Best Actress Award at Cannes for that role. And she starred opposite uh, Song Kang-ho, yeah, another Hallyu favorite. Song Kang-ho is in all of those Bong Joon-ho movies. Chun Do-hyun, huge, huge film actress. And because she's been in so many big movies, that's probably why K-drama fans are not as familiar with her. But she is major, big deal. She she starred alongside huge names. Like I said, like, you know, Song Kang-ho, Lee Byung-hun, Hwang Jung-min. She also starred in a movie with Kong Yu and Bae Yong-jun and Choi Min-sik. Yeah, all of these actors are huge. And she was like, is just as huge and was in these movies with them. Okay. So given this very impressive filmography in Chun Doyeon's, you know, acting career, I was very pleasantly surprised to see her starring in this 
Korean drama series. I was like, wait, what? It's you? And you're with Jung Jung-ho? Like, he's like down here. He's also 10 years younger than she is. And they're like supposedly like, you know, somewhat around the same age. It's, like, it's very interesting how, how very few <laughs> K-drama uh, male talents there are that they have to keep pairing them up with these like massive actresses. Yeah, it's very interesting. This, this pattern is continuing even with actresses like Chun Do-yeon. The last K-drama series that I saw Chun Do-yeon in is called Shoot for the Stars, which she starred in alongside Choin Sung. Now, this show came out in like 2003, I think, and I have not seen this show uh, like floating around on the internet and in the dark web or anything like that. It's like an impossible show to find. I don't know why. I don't think I even saw the ending of this series when it was still on air because my mom was renting the VHS tapes and that's how I was watching this show in high school. But like, I think she just stopped renting the tapes. I think she was just like, yeah, this show sucks and just like gave up. Yeah, I don't ever remember or recall seeing the ending of this series, which kind of sucks. And I want to revisit the show so that I could see what her chemistry was like with Choin Sung. Choin Sung, by the way, was not a good actor back then. He was actually kind of terrible. And even Chun Doyen is like huge, it's like up here, you know, it's like, yeah, catch up. You know. Also, that again, big age gap, big age gap between these two actors. It's like so weird. Anyway. So, Chun Doyeon, she was also in a series about two years ago alongside uh, Ryu Junyeol, and that show like was a, I don't know, the ratings was like absolutely dead. It was like a terrible failure of a show. I don't think anybody saw this show, so I I've missed it. It was it wasn't on my radar, and I never watched it, but. She was in that two years ago, so it's out there. It's floating out there if you ever want to check it out. I don't think it's a good setup, though. I mean, Chun Doyeon is, like, 20 years older than, than Ryu Junyeol, and, like, how is that going to work? I'm sorry. I'm progressive, too, but a 20-year age gap between a man and a woman? I mean, the positive way to describe it is radical, but the other way is just weird. <laughs> and for me, it's just a little too weird. That's a tad weird, man. I'm not sure if I could do it. The show Crash Course in Romance deals with some very uh, relevant themes that are definitely floating around in my consciousness right now, like maternal abandonment, chosen family, autism, developmental trauma, mental illness, education in South Korea. I think the show handles all of these themes pretty well overall in that they mention it. They mention these ideas and these concepts and these issues, but how do they handle them all the way through is a whole different matter, okay? So I like the fact that Hing Sun's younger brother, Chewu has Asperger's, and he successfully finds a romantic partnership in the end of the series. I was like, okay, that's a progressive story choice. I like that, all right? I like the fact that Chichia has all these physical ailments like sleep deprivation, eating disorder, and it's all because he's a workaholic. And I like the fact that the show does not fetishize his workaholism. I like the fact that the show critiques it and that Chichia comes to this awareness and starts taking care of himself more mindfully. I like that. Those are progressive story choices. I like the fact that Chichia is a kind and understanding teacher. Yeah. 
you know like while it is very much a reality and a truth and a fact that all of us have at one point experienced teachers who were negligent and abusive it's also true that we've had teachers who were very present very attentive caring kind and impactful and their lessons stay with us all of our lives all right that's just as true so i'm glad that this show captured that truth and manifested it in the form of chichiot i thought that was lovely he's a very empathetic teacher okay he's tender and he's supportive and caring to his students and he does what he can to maintain the student's interest and attention and i was like bravo good for you i love that that's beautiful all right i love the fact that uh the actress uh no Yunsa is back in this series okay like we all saw her in our blues she was very impressive playing a pregnant teenager on that show and she's back here playing another high school girl i think no Yunsa is like positioned to be the next big it girl in korean entertainment all right she has a very uh unique look about her she's very beautiful and attractive but she has a maturity to her image. There's like a mature aura about her that really makes her perfect for any high drama roles. So I'm really excited to see more of her in Korean dramas and Korean films in the future. And I think she's definitely somebody to keep an eye on. Now, here's what I don't understand about this show, okay? So No Yun-sa, she plays the character Nam hae in Crash course in romance and her rival at school is this chick named Pang Sua. Now, Sua hates Hei. Sua hates Hei because Hei is effortlessly getting good grades and she is effortlessly attracting the attention of good-looking boys in high school. All right? Sua hates Hei is full of jealous rage, can't stand her, right? At the same time, Sua is very ambitious and determined, okay? She has a very overbearing mother who's a helicopter parent, and her mother is obsessed with getting her daughter into a good college, all right? And Sua is under her, like, a lot of self-induced pressure, all right? And it's to the point where Sua starts to have these visual hallucinations. She starts to hallucinate that the words and letters on her paper start to float off. She starts hallucinating, like, warped images of her face when she looks at herself in the mirror, all right? She's clearly having a psychological breakdown, okay? But how does this, how does this show handle Sua's storyline? I'll tell you how. It doesn't it doesn't we just see sua having these episodes and she doesn't get any help yeah she tells her mother about it she tells her mother about it early on in the series but her mother doesn't take her to the hospital we don't see that ever her mom calls her psychologist friend and asks questions but there's no like sua going to get therapy or counseling there's none of that we don't ever see sua getting better we just see sua having these breakdowns time after time and it's always dealt in the exact same way her mom is just like huh like frozen and then and then we just cut to we just cut jump to the next scene they this story doesn't deal with sua's mental and emotional breakdown at all at all just two years go by and in the end in the last episode we see that sua is like in medical school and going to school just fine and she and hey are on good terms like there was no resolution <laughs> It's like, how did she get there? How is she still okay? Her mom is like just an administrator at a hagwon and that's it. Like whatever happens with her storyline, what, what happened with the husband? What happened with the, 
with your daughter your relationship is strained in your family you're a mess you're a hot mess bitch like how did you this this show does not deal with that storyline at all at all i think the showrunner and director really mishandles sua's storyline even though it's a very important one like what is protocol when a student starts having these kinds of episodes what is the parent supposed to do what is the student supposed to do how is a teacher supposed to intervene all right none of these none of these questions ever get answered on this show and i feel like that was a huge disservice not only to the show itself but to the audiences as well all right because it's raising issues but then it doesn't deal with them at all. Yi Hee the older brother to Sanje, who is Hei's best friend, the one that is initially suspected to be the one that's shooting these metal balls, okay? He's like mute for the first several episodes of the show. Yeah, we have no idea what his deal is. Like, how did he end up here? Uh, why is he like locked up in his room by himself blasting music? Like, what's his story? we don't know they never get into it yeah all we know is that like he had some psychological break and now he's just a recluse in the house and he doesn't talk but then later it turns out he does talk what is that about i didn't know that he he speaks i thought he was mute i thought the show was making a progressive choice by showing us a deaf and mute person but no it's like he had some problems but he can talk and he's actually normal he's fine like what is that <laughs> what the fuck is that Hei's childhood trauma around her mother's abandonment, that was also really poorly handled on the show, okay? So, like, we know that Hei's mother abandoned her, ditched her at her grandmother and her sister's place at the restaurant when, when Hei was a little girl, and she just disappears. All right, fine. Grandmother dies, and then Hang Son is now the one that needs to, you know, take care of this little girl and her autistic younger brother. Okay, fine. We established that. That's too bad, but we established that. And then, uh, just, like, totally out of left field, after 10 some odd years, her mother just shows up in Hei's life, okay? And Hei doesn't have, like, a moment of, you know, reckoning with her mother. She doesn't flip out all the way and rage out on her mother. She doesn't cry. Her mother doesn't have any sense of remorse. It's just like, what? You guys are serious? This is how you're going to handle it? And then her mother abandons her again. Yeah, as soon as Hei says, I'm going to go and live with you, her mother abandons her for a second time. And then everybody's like, okay, that's fine. We're going to deal with that. What? What is that? No, he is not okay. She's not at all normal. Like, that's all fucked up. That's all craziness, all right? But no, they're just like, eh, this is how it's going to be. All right, like, parental abandonment affects the child greatly, all right? I know it because I've lived with it. It is, like, it is earth-shattering, all right, there's no way in hell he is okay with that, okay? Like, there's no way in hell that he is ever gonna be normal after that, all right? The show did not handle that well. Oh, but the show was attentive in how trauma manifests as physical ailments. Like, for instance, he suffers from migraines. I was like, okay, that makes sense. Not only because, you know, she's like a sensitive young lady, but also because she has developmental trauma disorder. Yeah, that's like migraines that's like a standard yeah okay good we know that so we have that insight i was like okay that's helpful but then everything else you know it's like this is a this is like a melodrama you know this is a rom-com but it's also a melodrama and they could have leaned into this but they really don't and i was like that's fucking weird i guess what i'm saying is the show makes an effort to activate some very valid questions uh while dealing with young people's mental trauma or emotional disturbances, but it does not effectively answer any of the questions that come up 
alongside raising those issues. The show does a good job at keeping the story moving forward. I thought the whole plot point with Chi Dong Hee, I thought that was interesting. Chi Dong Hee being Che Chia's manager. I thought that was an interesting plot point. It definitely kept the story moving forward with this little aspect of like criminal thrill. Okay, I was like, that's interesting. But everything else, everything else when it came to the issue of young people's mental health and emotional well-being that was not followed through all right so i would just say that the show creators were perhaps a tad unprepared at handling this matter in this show so noble attempt and kudos to your noble attempt but boohoo at the fact that you left a whole bunch of strings untied my guest today is actor and improv comedian Ron Song. Ron is a very interesting uh, artist here in Los Angeles. So he has a degree in sculpting. That's his background. Ron once worked with a very influential artist named uh, Pig Namjoon, whose name often gets butchered in the American lexicon as Namjoon Pike. But that's not how it's pronounced. It's Pig Namjoon. Uh, Ping Namjoon was part of the Fluxus movement, which was a massive movement uh, that was influential in the 60s and 70s. It included people like Teresa Hakyung Cha, also people like Yoko Ono, also people like uh, John Cage. Okay, Ron once worked with Ping Namjoon, and I was like, that's fucking awesome. That's super cool. And uh, Ron once told me this story, which I hope he doesn't mind me sharing, but... Uh, Ron said that Ping Namjoon gave him and some of the other students that he was working with uh, like some illustration that Ping Namjoon did. And Ron uh, had it in his archives, but then Ron lost that drawing. Uh, and his subconscious motivation, which he admitted to me, was that like, oh, like, I don't want to, you know, um, like overthink this or like hype up Ping Namjoon in my brain you know and then like Ron was kind of saying to me like oh and I, I regret that I regret having been so you know egotistical and arrogant and you know not having looked after that drawing with as much care and attention as I should have that's what he told me when I when I met him at Peter's birthday party and my thinking to that is I think that was actually the proper intention. It's like, yeah, we shouldn't, you know, put these heroes up on a pedestal and hierarchy because there is no hierarchy. Like nobody is above us. The only thing that is, you know, like my, my, uh, how do we say, not even a role model, but like the, the figure that I strive to be and strive to become is my own higher self. Yeah, that's the only thing that I'm going to put as above me on a pedestal. Like, no other celebrity or historical figure or, you know, major influencer is ever going to take that place. And I think Ron unwittingly made that choice when he said, well, Ping Namjoon, whatever, you know, yeah, he's a big deal, but also he's not a big deal. And I think that youthful hubris and spirit was actually the right path yeah as as weird and radical as that may sound but i'm like no that is actually the correct path and now ron is currently in this big transition phase where he's fully devoting all of his time and energy to being an actor and performer here in hollywood and i think that is fucking fantastic and a huge 
uh, celebratory uh, success. Yeah, when anybody does that. So kudos to Ron. And let's talk to Ron Song. There was one thing I was like, I have to ask him this. Um, <laughs> okay. Did you ever write a song called The Ron Song? No, Why no. not? You have to. You have to, though. I should, right? Yeah. You have to. It's like an inevitability. That's a task you know, on your was, to do. I, I, I should. I, you know, I avoid it a little bit because I, like, when I was a kid, that was one of the things that, um, that uh people you know friends would make fun of me f about right and so they would say oh yeah. you're the wrong song or yeah uh -huh. so I, i've it's always just been in the back of my head that it's i should reclaim it you have to you must yeah 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 are you are you <laughs> musically inclined can you play music uh not really no or maybe what about your family members i mean i have some friends Sure. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I can belt out a karaoke tune. There you go. So you just yeah, write. Take me to Nodebang. I'll be all just right. Just write your lyrics and then ask them to compose and then you sing it. And it's the Ron song. And that's your song. <laughs> it's like you have to do it. I was like, why doesn't he have a song called the Ron song? Because it sounds that's so That's a good. burning question. It's, it was the burning, it was like it was right here. I was like, I have, that's the first thing I have to ask him. Did he ever write a song called the Ron song? That was like the first thing to do. Oh my gosh. And now that that's you, fantastic. Gave me, you gave me the answer, which is no. And we now know that you have to do this. Uh, we can end the podcast now. Now we could end it. Now we could. Yeah. Gotta be done. All right. Bye. <laughs> yeah. 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 Complete. Take care. Yeah. Fucking A. Because I don't know a lot of Koreans with the name Ron or Ronald. Yeah, um, I've I've never met another Korean named Ron. So yeah, you, it's you really just um, yeah, yeah. I don't. It's something in my parents. I yeah. Was it Ron? I don't. Can't remember if it was Ronald Reagan that they Maybe. wanted to kind of was in the back of their minds when I was a kid, but yeah. Um, yeah. You know, probably like all other 1.5 generation kids, you know, I came here and yeah. then they named me, right. Uh, right gave me an right. English name. Was Reagan like in office at the time or. I think it was Carter when I first came here and then okay. it was Reagan. So, yeah. So, okay. But Reagan was still like, I mean, he was a celebrity already yeah i don't know if they knew my parents did watch like the movies like ten commandments and ben-hur and things uh -huh. like that when they're in yeah. korea and that was a huge yeah. thing for them so charlton yeah, heston absolutely. they knew but some for some yeah. reason ron stuck for them because i know that like the name grace is also very popular among like korean families for religious mm -hmm. reasons but also because yeah. uh they loved grace kelly because she was oh, in all these nice. like hitchcock films yeah and they were like oh yeah grace grace kelly grace yeah like hollywood so it was both like hollywood and church <laughs> right 
<laughs> and that's also Ronald Reagan. Hollywood, church, politics. Yeah. Right. Right. My it's son all Ronald. Yeah. 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 <laughs> You know, I, I, this, it's, it's the it's the reason why we named our son Spencer. Oh yeah, from uh, for our old Hollywood. Ah, yeah, like Spencer a, Tracy. You have another. You have two children. Yeah, um, my second son, a younger son, uh, his name is Wesley with a T. Oh wow! And um, I think you know we were like sort of going over these names, and we thought. We, we, we had just finished watching the um, Princess Bride again. And I was like, oh, that's, that's a great name. So, and it yeah, means yeah. from the West. So we thought, okay, okay, cool. We'll name him that. There you go. Yeah. Wesley. Interesting. Uh, Princess Bride is. So what's your Korean name? It's a very common name. It's as, as common as Grace. It's Hyunju. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it is common. Very common. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's Ojilhyun, so meaning uh -huh. like benevolence or or graciousness. So it means grace, actually. Yeah. And then yeah. it's kuseju, so like marble, pearl, like roundness, beauty, wisdom. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Why? Yeah. What's your Korean name? Uh, it's Sokbin. It's Kulsokja oh, uh, uh -huh. and Pinnalpinja. That's a very great, that's an excellent name. Yeah. So like just big and bright. Yeah. And it's unique. Yeah. I don't know a lot of Sokbins. Yeah. It's our, our Tolim is pin. In, oh, um, that's such a pretty one. It is. It's a nice, I, you know, I, I never knew, um, like growing up here, I always, everyone called me like if they wanted to know my cranium, they were like, oh, Sokbin, because it was spelled like S-U-K. Yeah. But um, so I, I never really liked it. But then uh, I lived in Korea, right, from mm -hmm. 92 to 96. Mm -hmm. um, and it's when I started to realize, oh, my gosh, I, that name is, is kind of nice. It's a great um, name. Yeah. Yeah. My brother's name is also uh, quite nice. It's Habin. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. What's his English name? David is a very common David. Fascinating. Fascinating. <laughs> so your name is unique in both like for Korean American and in Korea. Like it's it's a very unique name. Um, and you have to write the Ron song and uh, you have to integrate <laughs> bigness and brightness yeah. in there. Right, right. That'll be the, the theme. Uh, the Ron that'll be song. the tone. Uh-huh. Big and bright. <laughs> No, and I understand the um, that sort of like painful, conflicted agony around having Seok in your name, because yeah. my dad's name is Seokji. Seokji, okay. Yeah, so, so he's yeah. he's also dealt with the same agony. Yeah, and then uh, he became a born again Christian, and then renamed himself as Joseph. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. uh, that's yeah. that's 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 a pretty powerful name. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. it is. Yeah, he was like, I like I like Joseph. I'm gonna name myself Joseph. I was like, all right, yeah, you do you. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, recently, probably in the past, like, I say recently, but it's probably the past 15 years. I I went to a church with my wife 
and in Grand Rapids, where she's from. Uh-huh. And um, uh, the the pastor who was there is a young kind of, uh, and I'm I'm not religious uh, mm-hmm. uh, in any way, but you know, mm-hmm. really kind of um, uh, going there for for my mother in law, right? Mm-hmm. And um, he told the story about uh, you know Mary and Joseph and the Christmas story because it was around Christmas time when we were visiting. And mm-hmm. I was blown away by the fact that he was saying, so historically, Joseph was maybe like in his 30s, right? And Mary was 13. And what? Yeah. So Mary was, is adolescent. Oh, my God. And so when you see the sort of age difference, and then you also see like, okay, immaculate conception, and you start to think about this idea that it was sort of, you know, a, a kind of taboo relationship, right? I mean, not as taboo as it, it is now, obviously, but, um, you know, you ha- you have the discrepancy of, of, of an older man, older man and, a, and an adolescent child. And then you think, okay, there's a, how else can that child explain the um, a pregnancy, right? Yeah. Uh, and I, I think there's just so much more to the, the reality of that mythology uh, mm-hmm. uh, than, than we're, we're given or sort of taught, right? So. so we were talking about Immaculate Conception and how Mary was 13. I'm shocked. My brain is blown to pieces right now. But I mean, in a way, like back then, all teenagers were getting married and getting pregnant. Like it was the same in ancient Korea too. Like at 12, 13, perhaps even younger, like 10, you were going to get married. Yeah. They, they sent you off. It was just, that was the way it went. Doesn't make it right. But also, you know, people died sooner back then. So it was like, time is not the same as what we think now. Age and time is different from back then. Right. Absolutely. But shit, yeah. Ugh. That's so wild. I don't know. But on the other hand, like, have you ever read, like, Yogananda? His book? You've probably heard of it, though, right? Like, here and there? Like, this figure, Yogananda? Yes. He's He's like a... He's like the guy that brought yoga to the Western culture. Like, it wasn't a white lady who did it. It was this Indian guru right and he was just like um really into jesus and his history and like i just i got like a box set of books that yogananda wrote about christ and his history and it's like a fascinating you know insight into that realm that the bible doesn't talk about of course you know, like they cut out all of Jesus's life. It's like Jesus was born and then he was like eight. And then suddenly he's 30 something years. He's right. 30. <laughs> they skip all the middle part. And so like what Yogananda's written scriptures talk about are Jesus's in-between life. And it what he says is Jesus went to India. <laughs> he studied in India. And I'm like, that makes so much sense. Like, yeah. makes total sense. Mm-hmm. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
But the other thing that he says about immaculate conception is he's like, well, the possibility is there. Kind of like how um, there are certain animals and certain plants that can immaculately conceive or they can just uh, produce offspring on their own. Yeah. Like they have their own reproductive things. And I'm like, makes sense. You know, if that's in nature, why couldn't a human person do the same? Okay, like that's an explanation. My mind is open to it. Yeah. Right, right. Because ultimately, there's no way for us to fucking know <laughs> really exactly what went down. Yeah. But you're, what you're saying, too, as a 13-year-old, like, there's a, a movie called Electric Children. It's like an indie film. Uh, do you watch um, Ozark? Ozarks? I, I, I watched that series, yeah. You know the blonde, curly-headed blonde girl? The mm -hmm. evil girl, she is the protagonist in this movie, Electric Children, and she's like a Mormon or something, like in one of these Puritan colonies, and she uh, listens to a tape with like soft core rock music, and then she thinks that she became preg impregnated after listening to this tape. Wow. Yeah. But of course, the suggestion is like she was probably, you know, assaulted or something. But it's like there's a blockage there. And her explanation is she listened to this tape that she should not have been listening to. It's a secular music thing. And now she's pregnant because she listened to this tape. And I think that kind of um, is parallel to this story that you just told me, the one that you heard in right. Michigan. Mm. You know, I think it, in, in a lot of ways <clears throat> that the religious sort of um, transcendence, right? And kind of where, what we put our faith into yeah. um, is is so strong because it's not uh, uh, questioned and it can't be, it, well, I mean, it is questioned quite often, but there's always an ultimate like, you know, cliff, which is, well, it's my, that's what I believe. And exactly. belief is always stronger than, you know, fact or uh -huh. science or, you know, anything along those lines. And it sort of powers human behavior in mm -hmm. really powerful ways. It's, it's, um, it's kind of, you know, in many ways, it's really scary, right? Uh, yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. I was listening to your podcast, um, an earlier one, um, where you were talking with, um, I, I, I'm horrible with names. So um, it was the the, uh, the Harvard. Uh, the doctor. Doctor, yes, yes. Doctor yes. Jacob Hom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, powerful episode, by the way. And, yeah. Um, you know, those you you guys touched on shamanism. Yes. And, you know, part of the from when when I studied at Yonsei University, I was a foreign exchange student, one of the yeah. reasons we were discussing why Christianity took such a strong hold mm -hmm. in Korean culture, because the um, colonization and religion was introduced in Japan and Korea mm -hmm. around the same same mm -hmm. time. The adoption yep. rates were radically different. Yes. Um, and it was because of the kind of, you know, uh, dogmatic shamanism that uh, people were able to sort of glom onto Christianity in such a, a strong way. Mm. Well, that makes so much sense. Mm. As it is, you know, that kind of, because um, shamanism is, is so 
direct, right? And it's just personal. Mm -hmm. um, and to have that kind of connection, uh, we thought, wow, okay, that, that makes absolute sense. Whereas, you know, uh, the, the sort of Shinto Buddhism is, is um, so much more abstract. Right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's actually giving me a lot of insight right now because I, like, <laughs> the book I'm writing right now is called K-Drama School. So I'm looking at school as an institution, overachievement, success, economics, pressuring, child abuse, da-da-da-da, militarism, blah-da-da. Okay, I'm looking at that. But my next book is going to be called K-Drama Church. And I'm looking at the church as an institution and what Christianity is to South Korea or the Korean Peninsula as a whole and all of that history. And um, you telling me that the dogmatic aspect, the heaviness and the intensity and perhaps the, uh, the strictness that shamanic figures had over korea that probably was a strangulating thing but today or even not even today like let's say let's talk 90s south korea even right there were all these cults in the in the in the 80s especially 90s a lot of cults there were um these like korean pastors and reverends that would like exercise demons out of uh, Korean people, like whole congregations having these like spiritual revivals. Uh, I'm not going to put quotations. It's, it's probably a real thing. But like, you know, it was like so intense, like viscerally, physically expressionistic and intense. And I'm like, in what way is this different from what sh shamanic, you know, rituals were like? They're fucking identical. Yeah. 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 A, a, a story I remember is that um, I lived in a hospital when I was mm. there. Uh, boarding mm -hmm. house and um, one of the students was um, uh, a medical student mm -hmm. <clears throat> and she and I were talking about um, you know as part of like it wasn't just the rotation but some volunteer work that she did um, with the medical students how she went to um, uh, rural villages and uh, they discussed sort of um, you know safe sex um, mm -hmm condom usage and and so one of the ways they demonstrated the condom was to you know uh, unwrap it onto a banana yeah a banana and some condoms and say this is how you do it and what they saw the next day were um bananas with condoms on them hung outside the door amazing right so that kind of um and this was you know in in the early 90s right i was there what was what why did they do that to symbolize what it was a, a it was a warding off warding uh, off rape i think warding off pregnancy oh. uh, right this is the oh. way you avoid pregnancy and say this oh. is use it so it's rather than um making the the direct connection between a banana and a penis yeah yeah they use the 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 same kind of um uh, you know means that they would hang things on there yes um oh, yes that's what they noticed and I'm like, because oh. yeah because um like like mothers would do this or grandmothers would do this like when they wanted their daughter-in-law to get pregnant with a boy they would hang like pe peppers yes. on the thing yeah it yeah. was always peppers I, I was like i mean what about a girl they didn't have fucking 
give a shit about that. So right. they didn't hang jack shit for daughters. No, it's <laughs> like they would hang peppers, you know? Um, that is so interesting because, you know, I, like I read tarot cards, like, I, and I was just giving myself a reading this morning. And then I was like, these were just pictures at one point. Like a tarot deck was just a guy drawing pictures and created a fun play deck. And right. now it's associated with divinity, with like answering questions about life and fortune telling. And it's like, how did it turn into that? And it's like very easy how and why. Right. People just started to ascribe meaning to each card. And they analyze every aspect of the card because they're pictures. And each item like water or a cup or fire or wood, they they have these symbolic meanings associated with them because we've been doing it for you know thousands of years for as long as human beings have existed that's all we've been doing and that's how tarot cards now have meaning because so many people ascribe those meanings to them and it's like that that village and that uh household mm -hmm. started doing that by hanging bananas with condoms on them in front of their <laughs> amazing and the thing that i like you know in our in our household the thing that we think is the cutest also is just the idea that um uh, you know we used to uh tell our kids that i have two boys and yeah. like, okay so make sure if you're when they're when we're washing them as babies and things like yeah. that and uh that we would we would call the penis gochu oh, yeah that exact reason right and so, so cute yeah for a penis is pepper <laughs> yeah it's a uh, it, yeah no this whole like um how do you say it's like indigenous like folk sort of there's like a coziness to it there is it there's like a childlike innocence to it you know even like that action of hanging those bananas with a condom like it's like it's such a childlike pure kind of expression of hope you know because yeah. that's what children do like children enact magic in that way all the time you know they're like i'm gonna put this pillow here because it has a meaning to them yeah yeah that's so true so you know, get yeah but part of what i was i was you know i was curious um in in your study and your writing as you're sort of researching your book and you're writing your book there's something that was really interesting to me anyway that i was thinking about the early 90s right mm -hmm. where um when that when i was in korea that was the mm -hmm. first time that was the busan international film festival in 1995 mm -hmm. um and um that that film uh yes. was uh hugely impactful yes yes um, globally and th but there was those you know korean dramas were were very you know it was pervasive it was everywhere right yep. and it was uh, uh culturally significant mm -hmm. and, and it remains to be but something i think around that time to me culturally shifted right yeah. and it might have been the imf it might have been uh -huh so much um even uh, before imf it was just like in an intense transition period yeah it, it's it seemed like there was a the there was a move away from like earnestness right mm. and um you where i saw this was like i, I was teaching english at, at uh 
um, in Korea at a hagwa. Yeah. Yeah. And um, inevitably, one, at least one male per class would say that, you know, we all said, okay, well, what's your uh, English nickname? So you can give yourself an English nickname. And at, at, at inevitably, there was at least one student that would say that his name was Rice. Oh, interesting. And Rice was so important to them because there was a trade um, dispute with the United States uh, where... Um, uh, uh, the, the U.S. wanted, there was an imbalance, so they wanted to uh, export more rice, uh, both to Japan and to Korea. And Korea was like, no, you don't, we don't want your nuclear weapons and we don't want your rice. And um, and we're, we're just thinking about this and that kind of direct translation from a, a, a sort of, you know, um, trade imbalance or trade dispute yeah. to... Um, the pride in in uh, rice as a as a just an you know a Korean a part of Korean identity yeah and then to be able to name themselves that right say this is yeah you know and there was like a somebody would would say like I'm rice no I want to be rice too so we didn't <laughs> you know, like how do you want to you know, you know differentiate yourselves in this situation? there's all different there's kumbap you know, oh, there's <laughs> there's all different kinds, man. You know, you could be kongnamulbap, right? right? You could be right. all kind. You could be hedopbap. There's all different <laughs> kinds. Chobap, right? Fucking You're go, get creative with it. That's fascinating, though. I mean, the first thing that just comes to mind is, uh, well, Korea was ravaged by countries like the United States. USSR, China, and Japan. Considering that, um, you know, there's fear. There's always going to be fear. The initial impulse from Korea will always inevitably be fear. Right. If somebody suggests something new, it's like, no, what the fuck? What are you, crazy? Yeah. And this notion around rice is even more of a trigger because South Koreans and North Koreans to this day are still starving, but the nation knows what starvation is like. Right. It's a it's a deep pain. It's a psychic wound in the in the nation as a whole. Starvation was real. Parents saw babies die in front of them because of malnutrition and starvation. That will not go away for another couple of centuries, I feel like. So, and there's also that saying, they say, papshim, right? Like, you get your strength from rice. They don't <laughs> say, and people don't ask you, did you eat food? They ask you, did you eat rice? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So rice is like this center thing that's equivalent to strength, your strength, your whole being, right? They're like, you know, they associate it with studying hard. It's like, oh, you, you got to eat a lot if you're going to yeah. study you know, you got to eat a lot if you're going to be a good athlete. You got to eat a lot if you're going to any any uh, ability to live. Yeah, is associated with rice. So yeah. I think I think that cultural maybe political reaction was one out of fear, but it triggered this like memory of the trauma of starvation too at the same time. And there's something like that is so poignant about the idea that that you we call food rice yeah. right that is yeah. one in the same there's no difference between food one and in the same even if they had a sandwich for lunch you know they'll yeah. say 밥 먹었어요 like 네밥 먹었어요 
Right. It's like they had bread and they had, you know, cold cuts. But yes, I did. And it, it's that's, rice. It's always rice that's used. Yeah. Uh-huh. The, you know, the, the, the reason why I bring that up in, in, is because the post, you know, I left Korea in 90, like December 25th of 1996, right? Oh, wow. And yeah. um, just before, like. Right every, before the mayhem. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was also when I went back to visit um, uh, my wife uh, and I went back uh, for our honeymoon. Mm-hmm. Korea. No, I'm. I, Maybe not the best like honeymoon because she just had to do like kunja to uh, <laughs> family members. <laughs> yeah, but uh, the, when did you go back for the honeymoon? In '06. Oh wow. Okay, so ten years later. What is something dramatically different about? Uh, I mean, I did anyway because my yeah. wife been previously, but we were like, whoa, the the things that are there now. There are um, there's kitsch. Right, uh-huh. irony is a huge part of how people discuss their own history and mm-hmm. their past, and 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 I was like, this is this was not the case. Like, we remember that that uh, the Korean drama uh, in the early nineties called Adil Kwarata. Like, oh, I didn't see that one. Sons oh. and daughter, a son and daughter. Okay. Um, the names of those children were uh, Prinam, uh-huh. right? The wow, treasured son. <laughs> Yeah. And, and Hunam after wow. Jesus. Yeah. And it was it was uh, uh, such a huge uh, show. It's just before I think Moreshige. Okay. Right. But um but that the names of those main characters and again it was like a, a national phenomenon. Right? So intense. Yeah. It's so intense and it's so direct and earnest. Yes. Right? Yes. And, that I think is is what shifted and changed, and now yeah. what I see is far more. You know, I mean, I love it. It's there's just far more nuanced, complex, uh, and yeah. it was complex at the time too. But it was steadfastly earnest, right? And literal, yeah. Yeah, and literal, exactly. Yeah, because. There was no uh, space or capacity to allow in those dimensions of irony, satire. Not to say that irony and satire and kitsch did not at one point exist, but it's more like when you're in a survival mode, your sense of humor disappears. Your ability to look at something from a different perspective vanishes completely. It's just tunnel vision. You have tunnel vision. Yeah, it's... uh... Uh, subsistence right it's, yeah uh, it's yeah little, yeah yeah uh you know i'm sure you've seen these like probably in the mid-2000s probably seen these like you know like shirts and t-shirts with like nonsense english written on them in korea mm-hmm. yeah like to me i don't know to me that is like it's like couched in both earnestness and satire it's like there's this artist, his name is uh, Jason Lee, um, and he's from Masan. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's a karaoke bar, like, uh, what do you call it? He's like one of one of the um, partners at this famous karaoke bar in Manhattan, in, in K-Town, uh, called MK. And uh, 
Jason's also a sculptor and an artist. Like he has a, a BFA from uh, I think Hongik, I think from Hongdae, okay, and yeah. uh, so he's very talented. And his thing, his like, his his signature is like making uh, luxury brands, but like with the nonsense English below it. So like instead of Chanel, it's Channel. You yeah. know, instead of Louis Vuitton, it's like Louis Vuitton, or you know, it's like that's his thing. Um, like imitating Korean luxury brands that would do the same. Like these look lu- these Korean luxury brands. Like I have I have an emo in Itaewon who was part of this black market, the underground illegal black market, where she would create imitation Louis Vuitton bags that looked fucking like perfect, right? But of course, the quality shit, so it doesn't last forever like Louis Vuitton purses should. It would break apart in five years. Yeah. Um, but like with her, she's taking that more seriously. It's like it has to look exactly like it. But there are others who would try to make it look exactly like it, but their English is so lousy that they would miss a letter or two here or there. Yeah. I think I think when you were in Korea, I think that was happening. A lot of that was happening. Absolutely. I mean, I I bought my fair share of Polexes, you know. Right, <laughs> <laughs> and but well, I I do uh, like I really enjoy the the transition between being unaware because there was a lack of knowledge to being aware and um and and continuing the same process. And so that you can't differentiate between those that are unaware and continue to remain unaware, or, or and and those that are, um, you know, hyper aware and, and utilizing it. And that, to me, I think that is that's that's the most interesting sort of thing culturally to see high and low art kind of combine, and where you can't differentiate the two. You right? can't. Yeah, it's all happening at once and very fast. And then there's the question of. Well, what about the processing of the shame factor? Because that shame is there. It's like, oh my God, I spent 20 grand printing these purses and it has the wrong name on it. (laughs) What the fuck? The shame that a person could feel about that all of a sudden, you know? Um, Like, that still goes on. That still goes on. And there's no mention of how one is processing that shame ever, ever. Nobody wants to look at it. They just move on. Like, okay, well, I was a dumb fuck back then, but not not anymore. Let's get more serious, you know? It's like, let's move on. Let's move on. Korea, South Korea moves at a rapid pace because of that. They're running away from shame. They don't want to look at it. They don't want to admit to it. They, it's like, oh, you know what? Actually, this is kind of kitchen funny. Okay, you know what? That was the intention. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's go yeah. with that. This was never my parents' mistake. No, 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 no. Let's not fucking look at that. I can't even open that lid. No. Right. Like, right. Um, I'm sure you've noticed this too, but in South Korea, it's like, um, it's the same street I walk through in Shinchon every day on my way to Yonday. This store to my right was a bakery. On Monday. Mm-hmm. On Wednesday, it's a shoe store. How? They're so fast. It's so fast. So fucking fast. It's literally like that. It's like Monday, it was a bakery. in. They were selling food, pastries. Tuesday, it's closed and they're doing construction. Wednesday, yeah. it's a shoe store that is fully like selling shoes. Totally yeah. different business. Yeah. Did, you, did you, where in Shinchun did you live? I didn't live in Shinchon. I lived in Mapu, 
I lived in uh, Yomnidong Mapo, so yes. it was like a few miles off. But it was like I I would still walk to school, like just to get my exercise. So it would be like a long, like maybe That's five, yeah. yeah, like five six miles or whatever. But um, yeah, I lived in Mapo. Okay, I lived in Shincheon for the entire time I was in Korea. When you were there, were they also? Because Shincheon is very famous for their takgalbi. Mm-hmm. And was Takgalbi famous back then too? Not as much, right? There, no. Um, you know, I think the, a couple of things that were were popular was Pudejige. Uh, oh, which I, to this day I absolutely love. Is uh, the best. Yeah, and um, you know that was when Toksuri Dhabang was still there on the corner, right in front. Yes, of the, yes. I think at some point they they. It grew and then it disappeared in the same way. <laughs> But I'm, I, yeah, that was that was the staple. That's where everyone used to go to. Wow. Oh wow. Yeah. No, Shincheon's great. And again, like that's just a testament to how like fast Korea is. It's like, you know, when I was there, I was there in 2010, 2010 to 2011. It was when I was in um, Korea, uh, and I was like researching at Yonde, but. By then, it's like takgalbi was like the concentrated branded food item of Shinchun by then. And it's like, that's when like that show Ilbagi was like airing and all these like regions were starting to uh, pride themselves on what's our food here. Like it wasn't always a thing. It was probably like one restaurant where their pudechige or their takgalbi or their, you know, kalbichim or whatever was like decent. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, the cultural ministry of that area was just like, okay, we need to now make this a brand and like attract tourism and Korea so fast. <laughs> so, so this is, so I grew up in a place called Temple city, right? Uh, okay. Uh, it's in Southern California um, in, in LA County. And um, there's something really sort of distinctive about uh, Asian uh, uh, merchant behavior, right? Oh. They create districts uh, yeah. that people can come and they know, And where it's, it's sort of counterintuitive to American uh, commerce, which is like competition based. So mm-hmm. if you have one store and you have a similar store across the street, then it's uh, who will survive, right? Mm. It's going to be the last one standing because it's yeah. competition based. Yeah. Whereas uh, in Asia, you have districts. So yeah. um, in, in, uh, on the main road in Temple City, um, Asia you know, more, there was more Chinese immigrants and they would uh, open up wedding photography stores. Uh-huh. And so there may be five or six of them on the main road, yeah. right? And yeah. so the 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 belief, and it was even in one of the newspapers, like local papers, that it was potentially a, a, a sex ring a slash oh. uh, terrorist uh, uh, front. And I'm like, You know, so it's like, white white press paranoia. Exactly. Like, okay, talking about this is a, a merchant district, and yeah, they're trying to create a space. Like right. I in in Seoul is a, a, a wedding district, so you can get your uh, wedding dresses in Ayondo, right? Yeah, so yeah. There are like hundreds of wedding stores there, um, so you can you can figure out how to get uh, your your dresses. Yeah, just the same way, like you were saying. Shinchun is now known for its its takgalbi, right? Yeah, you know, and it's a, it's it's a community thing. That's why yeah. you're emphasizing it's a community exactly. thing. 
It's about community. And now everyone knows that there's a district that you can go to. It's a place that... That whole area. And then everyone benefits, right? From exactly. Planning. It's so counterintuitive to American commerce. Um, and But it's still just it's still wonderful that way. I think, um, uh, yeah, like Korea does the same thing. And um, yeah, that whole like white media paranoia thing, which is like xenophobia, xenophobia, you know, that's like deeply embedded in American culture from like the 1800s. But um, like in Chungmuro, for instance, in Seoul, in Chungmuro, like if you go down that street, it's all cameras, like old school, like vintage cameras. They sell film, like rolls of film. I would go there every couple of weeks, like because when I was living in Seoul in 2010, I was um, doing black and white photography on like a Lomo camera. There was this a camera called the Diana Lomo. And I was just like photographing. And so I would go and buy like, exp- like they would sell like expired black and white film in like a case for like chunon. And so I would buy those. And it was just like a thing. Like I love the ritual of going down that street, mm-hmm. finding these things or finding accessories for my camera. And then they also had developers like in that area. So I would just, you know, give them the film roll. They would develop it and then give me the prints. It was like, a fun activity and that that shit just annoys me like when i was in uh, i've moved around a lot throughout my lifetime uh but i mostly grew up in new york and briefly from third grade to seventh grade i lived in palisades park new jersey and palisades park new jersey is like koreatown it's a very small town palisades park but it's like it's just the whole town is like korea you know and there was this time in the when I was living there in the mid nineties and 95, there were these articles printed in the local New Jersey press that this one strip was just like full of it. They were like, they were calling them like room salons or, you know, suggesting that there was like, you know, like, like sexual, you know, behavior, sex trafficking or, you know, prostitution going on at these like norebans. Yeah. And I don't know if they were, but like, it, it was just like, why would they just jump to that conclusion? You know, like I actually I went to that Norebang with my parents one time, like just to sing after Hishik, you know, after we had dinner, we just went there to sing songs like families go there. You know, when I was in high school, middle school and high school, I would go to those Norebangs and hang out for hours with my friends like kids went there. And when we went there, none of us were jerking one another off or (laughs) hiring prostitutes like we were not doing that, you know. Yeah. And also. Like, why does the white media say this about, like, as if sex is not a thing in every culture, as if sex was not used as a currency in every single culture, like, as if white military militarism does not produce what's called a sex camp, you know, like, those camp towns are for serving American soldiers and satisfying their sexual needs. Like, to me... Like that white press is only exposing the shame of U.S. militarism and their repressed sexual sex crimes. Let's call them sex crimes, you know, because like a lot of them, a lot of the times those are crimes, Like you know, Um, around those sex camps. There were also like schools because, you know, women become pregnant. They have kids. Those kids need to go to a school. You know, those soldiers also have children. 
those children need to go to schools, you know? There was like a, a movie, I forget the, it might have been Camp Arirang. It's a documentary. But it's like one of those like experimental, like, you know, video graphic kind of movies. And uh, there's a scene where there's a, a soldier, an adult soldier, an American adult soldier holding hands and walking with a, like a schoolgirl. Oh. And they're just walking like you know and the camera is like filming them from behind yeah and there's no narrative there's no music there's no nothing it's just that image of the two walking and the questions yeah. come up questions the, come up yeah yeah absolutely i mean right how 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 tragic that the that the implication of a soldier and a child um from World War Two was really here have a oh, yeah. Hershey bar, right? Yeah. Have a Hershey's mm -hmm. chocolate mm -hmm. as a way of sort of ingratiating, um, uh, uh, you know, American soldiers into uh, the, the 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 local culture. Yeah. Uh, then to see that, right? Yes. Yeah. A child, uh, and have have that implication be completely radically different. totally totally altered. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just, uh, it's it's a shame to to a large degree, but at the same time, it's like that's the reality of any military camp uh, or or uh, base in any country. Yeah, yeah, it's complicated. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's there's no there's really no uh, way to say like, well, this was right or this was wrong. Like, right. if we go in with this binary goggle it's you're you're doomed to hit a bunch of dead ends yeah and you know and the thing that uh what we were talking earlier about these districts and it's like if you if you get to a place where um there were a, a large uh a preponderance of of uh of barbershops mm. barbershops then you may then you might have a a little bit of concern there um, and uh, also, if you're in the 80s and 90s, right? Oh, I don't get that reference. What do you mean? Well, barbershops were um, places uh, to um, or fronts to sell uh, sex. In oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea. <laughs> oh my god! So, oh my god! Are you serious? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm shocked right now. So you know, there there used to be. You know those um, swirly. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yes, not all of them were that way. But um, the idea that women would be that close to men, right, um, cutting their hair and touching them, and oh, that provided the opportunities for um, uh, that avenue, right, and it became popularized. Oh to my god, what you just said just like blew open a lid just now. Uh, okay, so this was in that town, Palisades Park, the very Korean town in New Jersey in Bergen County. So, uh, my dad and I, my dad needed to get a haircut real quick. And this, there was a barbershop on Broad Avenue, like the main street. And I was just like there, it, cause it takes like 15, 20 minutes for a man to get his like haircut real fast. And all the barbers were men, gave him a haircut and they were all like Korean ajashis, you know, gave him a haircut. But there was a woman like uh like uh she was a, she was latina she was a latinx woman 
came and she was just cutting my dad's fingernails. Like, sat while he was getting his hair cut. And there was something about that, like that movement, that motion, the fact that she came to like clip my dad's fingernails, touch his hand and stuff. Like there's like an intimacy happening that I was a child. I was like maybe sixth grade, fifth grade. I was a child, but there was, I was sensitive to that. Mm. There's something about me that noticed it. And I was like, this makes me feel a little weird, made me feel weird at the time. And perhaps this hist- this embedded history of this in Korea, perhaps that was lingering somewhere, helicoptering around in my subconscious somewhere for me to feel that way about this, even though what was happening was like totally just, you know, I was like, this is part of the grooming ritual. It's like, you know, you get a haircut, like shave, fingernail cutting. Okay, that's like part of the thing. But it's like, but it's a woman. How come the woman has to do this? Yeah. This yeah. part. Oh. Absolutely. And, it, you know, tying it all back to, to like you know, Korean dramas, you know, while I was there, I would meet um, some older Korean men, and they would talk about, um, and we'd have like general conversations about, uh, you know, what was on TV or mm-hmm. some uh, star or mm-hmm. you know, talent, right? Uh, yeah, and they were kind of joking with each other, and they used to they would say something about tantara, mm. right? And, yeah. um, and sort of, I've you know, kind of poked at that a little bit more and uh, sort of discovered that they were talking about sort of a pejorative term for um, actors and actresses, singers, performers, in a way, because there was some kind of connection between that kind of performative uh, career mm-hmm. and the compromise that comes with it. That, yeah associated with potential sex work right yeah yeah the couch the producer's couch yeah absolutely yeah no different from hollywood Mm -hmm. hollywood is full of you know just nightmares nightmares like it's it's the same like any entertainment industry like any anybody who has a dream to get out of their shit world Right. You know, their their shittiest place with abusive parents, with, you know, with predators and neighbors and uncles, you know, all of that shit stuff. It's like, no, I'm meant for more. I'm meant for more. Let me go to Hollywood. Oh, abusive parent figures, abusive predator figures. They're all there. You just go through the same cycles, emotions over and over. Girl, you're a star. Yes, your face is on the big screen. Yeah, you're pretty. You're glamorous. You're all of that. You're talented. Yeah, but you're still doing the same thing over and over. Are the audiences not doing the same thing to them as well, right? Is the camera not doing the same thing with the male gaze? Is it not? Is the editor not doing the same thing? You know, but it's like, again, you know, we could go there, but at the same time, it's like, are they also not meeting their own need in a way? Yeah. 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 Like, is the is the audience's love also not registering? You know, to it, it's 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 fleeting, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of like for a comedian, when we get a laugh, fucking feels like love. It's so good. It's like, oh my god! Like every cell in my body is like, you know, in a state of praise. You know, in a state in a state of glory. Isn't that why we go back to it, right? Like that's that, why we do it. Continue to do it, no matter how difficult uh, things get. That's why we um, do it, time and yeah. time again. That's why 
that's why, uh, you know, even though our parents break our hearts, we go back to them time and time again because we remember the time that they were loving, you know, or the time that they looked at us or listened to us or held us, you know, even though they were pieces of shit other times. You know, it's the same thing. What what province? Gyeongsangnam-do. Uh, so my grandparents are from Hapcheon, Gyeongsangnam-do. Mm-hmm. My whole family is from Gyeongsangnam-do. My dad, my dad's from Gosong, where they have all the dinosaur footprints. Yeah. My mom is from Hapcheon, where they have Haeinsa Temple. And yeah, that's I spent a lot of my youth in at my maternal grandparents' house. So lots of fire, lots of, uh, uh, yeah, no, wood, I'm... fire, yeah, you know. Uh, my parents uh, were all from Chungcheongnam-do. Oh. So everything's really slow. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a very different um, cultural experience, right? Yeah. Uh, not a lot of yelling. Yeah. Chill. Yeah, calm. It's so chill. It's pretty calm. Um, you know, we still have that sort of generational yeah. right, trauma. And, and you moved to SoCal. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't move to New York City, to Brooklyn, no. Mm-mm. You moved to Southern California. That's right. Well, is uh, uh, you know, the, the nurse, it, 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 the Park Jung Hee era, uh, uh, nurse expert, uh, uh, yeah. what my mom uh, came here for. Ah, yeah. your mom was a nurse. He was a nurse, yeah. So, What about your dad? My dad, uh, he was working for, um, like a, a gas fuel oil company Hunam. fuel yeah um and oh my gosh yeah left there uh to you know following my mom um uh, and you know i, I like you know there's the mythology that they always told us it was really all about like you know better opportunities for your children and all uh-huh. of that i like fully wholeheartedly believed all of that right yeah yeah and, to a large degree, I like it's it, it's a comfort to think that can you know can, it, for it, even now, but what what's what's funny is that the you know talking to them and I wouldn't have had these conversations with them had I not gone to Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole reason I went, I, I you know I, was, I went to school at, at UC Santa Barbara, and I wanted to stay there and and maybe study abroad and like. Spain or France or something like that. Yeah. And uh, I was all set and ready to go to do that. Um, but my my grandmother uh, passed away. And before she passed away, she was telling me and my brother like the stories of her youth, right? Paternal and, or maternal grandmother? Uh, paternal. Okay. And um, I couldn't understand anything she was saying. It just, you know... I got away with little bits, but I couldn't really understand what she was talking about. So, um, what because of the dialect or just because I didn't know Korean? Oh, it was a language barrier. Language barrier, and um, so then I said, "Okay, well, all right, that does it. I can't have that happen with my parents." So I went to study abroad in Korea, and and I ended up staying there for nearly four years before I came back and that changed our relationship uh dramatically completely we could communicate with each other yeah you know express more complex thoughts and emotions and that's um, the thing yeah expressing complex thoughts yeah yeah 
the inability but to do that, that this, uh, of coming to the the states was sort of crumbled, right? So there yeah. was more because my dad was drinking more because of the fact that he was he was in this business and he'd have to go to uh, places and entertain people and do all of that. And my mom was like, "Let's just not let's not do that. Let's start right. fresh." And, right. And mm. it became a, a different life. And so they 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 uh, came here and they ran an Altadena Dairy, uh, which is a convenience store, right? Mm. The majority of my life. So that's what your father did mm -hmm. while your mom was working as a nurse. She initially worked as a nurse. He was trying to find work when they first got here and then um, found some odd jobs. He worked at uh, Korean Airlines for a while. Um, doing Wait, so she, she, hold on. Um, so she was sent to America to be a nurse, but then she couldn't be a nurse? No, she established herself as a nurse uh -huh. there for a few years. When my mom and dad saved up some money, they went in with the friends to purchase a, a convenience store. Oh. And so to become more independent. Got and, it. Uh, which is, you know, again, like that's the american dream right the korean american dream <laughs> it's everybody's dream to be independent yeah yeah do you read like okay so in tarot in tarot cards my favorite card is the nine of pentacles and it represents financial liberation financial independence right that is the ultimate dream to work for yourself yeah we don't want to work for some piece of shit no yeah you know i is i like i got into um uh, in 2020 was when I started like acting professionally, right? Like doing a little, co a couple commercials here and there. And, um, and I was still working at UC Irvine for, uh, up until last year, like February of last year. Hmm. Um, and holy crap, like I, I didn't ever imagine myself transitioning and, and trying to become uh, uh, an actor, mm. uh, or even you know, I, I mean, I studied sculpture at, at the, the yes. Arts Chicago, and that's where I got my MFA. And I was like, okay, this is that 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 was the dream, right? Yeah. Continue to move in that direction, but the practical side of me was like, okay, we need some sort of work, and I had mm -hmm. some marketing background, and mm -hmm. so we I started working at at higher education institutions. And also, you have children. You're, you're a yeah. breadwinner. Yeah. That's and but but now uh, the my wife and I we've discussed this and you know we've uh, moved into this place where um, I I can explore this full time uh, and it was because um, you know I, I got I got hired to do this the show um, which is coming out pretty soon I I don't know when this podcast will air but in early April I think the show mm -hmm. will come out where I was mm -hmm. uh, um, a series regular for mm -hmm. this comedy show. Yeah. Um, so we were able to take that and, and transition over. And I can't tell you, it, it feels so great right. to do that rather yeah. than manage a team. Uh huh. I, I really was bad at it. Uh -huh. <laughs> I was really bad at managing people. And I was also not good at like dealing with consistent uh uh petty human interactions right that yeah. was really really hard 
uh, and there are some people that are great at it and, you know, good for them. Like I, mm-hmm. I really applaud that. Um, but personalities are not always set for, for those things. Um, but yeah, I'm still, this is me learning how to be, uh, uh in this world. Right. Yes. Yeah. I'm, we're, I'm, we're always at this beginning phase of something. Yeah. You know, like, um, First of all, I'm so happy that you did that. That's like, and I, and I think the inner you is also very grateful to you for having made that decision. It's like, it's like your whole body is like, thank you so much. Right? When that happens. I could feel it. It's such a good feeling. Yeah. 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 So wow. get in, bask in it. Oh. And that, that's sort of how I met. I mean, we met at, at, at Peter's birthday party. Yeah. Um, so I met Peter through uh, the, sort of learning at the Second City and finding out a little bit more about him. And yeah, so many. Like, I, I feel like I have, you know, a, a fraction of a percentage of just an introduction to this world. Uh-huh. Um. So the like, the SAG Awards was just uh, on Sunday. Yeah, seeing everything everywhere all at once. Just I, yeah. I mean, you know, I watched the the clips on YouTube, and I'm just like, oh my god, this is. Uh, it feels like a seminal shift, right? Like yeah, this tectonic shift in yeah, in which um, representation is different for for Asian Americans, and I want to like like say like maybe i'm just being a little bit too optimistic about it but i'm pretty Be optimistic about it because you're part of that shift too and think of the timing of this movie coming out at your stage in your career at my stage in my career yeah. it's not a fucking accident it's happening because the timing is now right you know? So be optimistic. Why let in the doubt? What's the point? Yeah. What's the point of raining on our own fucking parade? <laughs> right? That, like that's the, I think that is what I will have to continue to struggle with. Like yeah. my whole life. That is, that's, that's how I was brought up. Right? Like, yeah, we're warring with ourselves. Right. Right. Inner conflict. That, that is something that at some point, I love to be able to just trust me. I am. Yeah. I know. Yeah. But also, you know, you could like look at your own choices, like, you know, like you getting an MFA in sculpting, you know, like you had a sense of trust, inner trust always, you know, is like, I mean, isn't that like, that's something, you know, like you, like when you were in New York, like rolling with like Fluxus team and like, you know, you know, hanging out with like Ping Namjoon and shit. Like that's like, you were in it, you know, you were always kind of in that world anyway. That world is no different from this world. It's the yeah. same world and that is the creative world. It's yeah. the it's the creative space where like, we have to always let go and jump in and just trust ourselves that it's going to be okay while following our passion, you know, while following like who and what we are. It's yeah. like, I'm, I'm supposed to be a creative person. I'm not supposed to be sitting in some fucking office listening to some asshole talk about another asshole and try to mitigate that's a fucking nightmare i'm not meant for that 
20 years of that, right? Like of that life. So it's, it's, it doesn't come in a day. I think it'll, I'll continue to have to work on it and work on the doubts that I have and uh, fight against my instincts to sort of say, okay, what's my plan B? Why can I always return back to something else that's more stable? Right. Um, but that is what I've been trained to think over the past, like, literally 20 years. And so... Uh, and also what our parents were trained to think sure, sure. and do. And what our grandparents were pro were trained to think and do. Yeah. You know, they always ha probably felt stuck in, like, I did not have a choice. I did not have a choice. Even listen to the narrative that our parents say to us. We moved here for you. It's like, bitch, no, you didn't. You moved here for you. Yeah. Stop making us feel guilty and ashamed. That's a whole nother layer that like diaspora Koreans need to, you know, try to remove from our state of being. Why should I feel burdened and ashamed and guilty yeah. for my parents not making their choices to improve their lives when they had that choice? Everybody right. always does, you know, sorry to say it, but that that is a bottom line. Like, yeah. I don't have a role model who is a strong woman who comes from my family. You know, she would always my mom would always like side with the aggressor. She would always side with the dominating force. My yeah. dad was so abusive, would, you know, constantly call her names, berate her in front of her children. That's not a nice person. You know, a guy like that needs to be checked. You know, she has to clap back. But no, yeah. she would sit there quietly, letting that stuff fester inside of her. And then where does she let that unleash that rage and anger? On her child. And I'm not the only one, you know, but Korean Americans don't want to talk about it. Oh, I can't talk about my parents like that. <gasps> the shame. <gasps> I can't do that. Oh, my God, I'd rather die. Well, you are going to die a miserable death. <laughs> That's going to turn into a cancer. It's going to explode in your head one day. Yeah. You know? Like, it's also part of, like, Korean culture when you sort of look at um, the the dramas where there's, um, you know, unrequited, well, not unrequited love, but a forbidden love, right? Forbidden and love. Mother-in-law. Oh, that's the, so good. Yeah. And then she she has her, her, her children are so, um, uh, you know, combative with her or... N not agreeing with her her approach that she gets ill right and yeah lays up with the, the white the, thing the, tied around her forehead yeah, uh -huh. yeah. And, and maybe becomes comatose right <laughs> like that is just piling on guilt after guilt after guilt and it's it's one of the only ways that they sort of express that um, yeah taking that to a, a national scale right um, I remember while I was living in Korea, between that time, um, the they were, you know, the Korean and Seoul government were thinking about um, uh, reconstituting and rebuilding Gyeongbokgung Palace, mm -hmm. right? Because at the time there was a national museum there, but it was a colonial building from oh. uh, Japanese occupation. Okay, and the the debate was whether or not they wanted to how they were going to move that building if they were going to demolish the building or if they wanted to keep that building and uh display it someplace else because um 
they built that building and you know like right like uh uh feng shui uh, got it yeah um, they they built that building building right at the center of the four gates mm. on kyungbuk palace and there was a lot of sort of not just debate but discussion around why they did that and it was yeah. to, to to destroy um korean identity oh. right and sort of national pride uh -huh. have their building their government building right, right. at the center of the heart of of Kyungbuk palace removing sovereignty yeah. Yes, absolutely. And what they what 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 I remember is that that ultimately I, I can't remember if they they relocated the building or if they demolished the building, but yeah. on the foundation of the building, yeah, they found thousands of um, metal spikes huh. that were inscripted uh -huh. um, that were used to disperse energy, huh. right, and to to kill the energy and they would still find um uh some of these spikes embedded in some of the the mountains around Seoul who put them there the Japanese government Jesus Christ so I mean so how insipid right to to understand that Pungsujiri is an important this is the whole way that that Seoul was established right uh, along the Han Hangang because of how these four gates where they they stood and um uh, and how its proximity to water right mm -hmm. life-giving water was important and so this is where the, the the geographically it made a lot of sense logistically strategically it made a lot of sense to be surrounded by mountains it's where why the blue house is where the blue house is um but to have the the the, the colonial building be built and have that energy dispersed around the, the 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 connection of the four gates that just blew me away like that level of of animosity towards uh the the country you are occupying right mm. um animosity is which is shared with fear yeah because it's like they know what they're doing. They know they're dominating and controlling. And they know that there's going to be a consequence to that someday. And so they want to control that by embedding these metal spikes here and there. And think of the way that water shapes metal, right? Like if you look at like just, you know, Taoism and, and you know, it's like the elements, like the element, the sacred elements, like water and metal, they're always like they work together you know like water shapes metal that's fucking wild um so wait hold on how does that connect to the the <laughs> it, it it's really about the 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 scale of control and ah. uh, you know the national sort of shame right mm -hmm. trauma that we all we all sort of have that we sort of live with right i uh, see from from uh the, the the entire country has yeah. had to. Do this. I mean, I, I go I go back. I think about like like my mom. Originally, she was named Sonja, right? Wow. Uh, and Sonja was I, I forgot the Japanese equivalent. The cha is like ko, like akiko or makiko or so. It, she was forced to have a Japanese name, right? 
when when she was younger. Uh-huh. She was like, fuck that. I don't want that anymore. So when she had some agency, she changed her name to Park uh, Hyunja Sunja. So it's Hyunsun, right? Um, and so she doesn't ever want to go by that anymore. Um, and what's what's fascinating, I think, to me is, you know, her, my aunt's name is Chongja, right? And um, that level of control, uh, uh, colonial control, um, I think is it, still embedded in like our culture, our society, our family lives to a large in our, in our spirit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The conflict. It's it's so close to us. But I, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier about like the growth of irony and kitsch and things along those lines. That I think moving away from a subsistence culture right and economy where there's more luxury to be able to um think and display complexity uh-huh. that is i think where you know the strength of korean culture and and media has shifted right like it's it is because of what how our proximity to that trauma that we are able to continue to do things that you know is is vibrant and growth uh, uh, has has a growth mindset. Right? Yeah, and and to laugh and to be yeah. able to laugh at oh remember that yeah 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 it's so crazy that your mom's name is Park Sonja. My mom's name is was Park Sonyo, and she didn't like the nyo because it was Kejimnyo. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that was like you know like none of my other aunts they're fucking she has like Kunimo, she has like five they're five daughters none of the other daughters were named nyo <laughs> but my mom was named nyo you what know was, like they, what was her place is she the she renamed herself as pak sun young young yeah, yeah but she kept this hun just like your mom kept this hun yeah uh and my mom gave up her uh maternal name too she called she goes by chung Young, my dad's name she adopted my dad's name chung there's like i sense a visceral i mean it's deep like my mom's so fucking repressed it's like unbelievable but it's i sense that her wanting to distance from her family her parents like with such intensity i sense that she moved to america for for that i know that subconsciously is there just like i moved away from new york to california to get the fuck away from her <laughs> you know to that from them from my family for the same reason you know it's like these things that we try to put a lid over and be like i'm never gonna look at that again because it causes me so much agony and shame it never ever stays closed yeah. it cycles out comes out in some weird way in a different direction always it's inevitable i think we yeah. just have to accept that that's inevitable that's inevitable you know and i think that's what these uh, uh media storytellings and storytellers do always that that, that right. they're key they're always revealing that to us you yeah. know i do have to say that that there was a lot of trepidation on my part to sort of quit my stable job and and, and move into to this and the person i you know i was most nervous about 
talking to about this was my or my or my parents, mm-hmm. um, especially my dad. Mm-hmm. And, Even though you're a grown man, oh yeah, married I, with children, you're still afraid of mom and dad. Yep. Yeah. And you know he he grew up very close to Joe, right? Like mm-hmm. he very conservative. Uh, mm-hmm. Grew up. Um, his father uh, never entered the kitchen, mm-hmm. right? and would look down he would he would all he would also never tilt his head down to eat uh a pop right mm. or soup. Mm. he would always bring it up to his 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 lips because by by going down to your spoon you're bowing to you're submitting yeah you're submitting yeah so he yeah. Would, and um and they sit at the head of the table they have to yeah. uh, reach for the f- spoon first until that until any nobody else can eat until he eats first right now, you know, I so that's how my dad grew up. But yeah. I think coming here, he like, it shifted and changed him dramatically over time. Like it just whittled away, and the amount of change and growth uh, yeah. that I I've noticed in him has been dramatic. So yeah. when I, when I asked him about this, I was so surprised because he he was my biggest supporter he stopped and said when when his younger sister wanted to try something like that and go in and try to do uh, a play Mm -hmm. he was adamantly against it yeah and it hurt her right of course and 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 he said that you know, he's been reading a lot. He's 83 now, so he's been reading a lot about, almost 83, but he's been reading a lot about death and dying. And, <laughs> and uh, he said the thing that, 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 that people regret the most is not whether they've made more money or if they've had more titles, but it's just that they didn't take more risk in their lives. And so... Risk for the thing that they love. Yes, yes. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay. And that's why he's uh, he was supportive, and it's I cool was, with it. It is really uh, right. Yeah, like, it's moving, oh, it's so moving for me. Because you weren't expecting that response. No, no, not at all. You were afraid. Yeah. What? Did, how did your mom respond? Same, the same way. She. That's so. That's so gracious of them. Yeah, and so I, I, it, it it tells me that their time in the states and their you know lifelong learning they're constantly reading and they're constantly looking at new things yeah. like you know when 9-11 happened my dad <laughs> the his approach to trying to understand it was to read the quran and um read as much as he could about uh uh you know the muslim religion because he, he comes from um He's he's never been a religious studies major, but he was he's always been interested in religion. So he's, he's a curious um, man. Very curious. Um, so you know, growing up, I went from being Presbyterian when he first came here to Southern Baptist to Catholic and a very progressive Catholic church mm-hmm. to just not not uh, not having to deal with that anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I remember also in your in your podcast you talk about Chesha. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that was something that was very important for me, too, is mm-hmm. to um, 
consider that. And we have such a big family. Like, I was like, oh my God, how many tests do we have to do? Like, <laughs> how often do we have to do this? Can't, can't keep up. But the thing is, like, you could always do, I think the right answer to that is not to overexert the point yeah. of resentment. It's do what you can manage. You know, it's the intention and the mindfulness and the awareness that counts, not putting every single, like, the fish and the beef and the sweets and the, it doesn't fucking matter. They don't yeah. care. You know, they don't care. It's like, they just want to be remembered. They just want to be acknowledged. They just want the recognition. That's the only fucking thing that matters. Yeah. If all you have back when Korea was a ravaged country and they were still, you know, reconstructing out of the war rubble, how could they do chesa? They can't even eat themselves, you know? So what would they do? They would just put out a bowl of fucking water. It's all they could do. That's all that mattered, you yeah. know? But to not do it at all, to do away with it completely out of the fear of a Western God, you know, out of a Western dogma that says, like, only Christianity is the thing that matters and everything else is hell and death and demons. That's fucking insane. It's psychotic. How? How? I don't accept. I don't accept. And, and good, right? Like, because yeah. there are some traditions that are um if if practiced are centering mm -hmm. right not just, exactly. not just uh, external right exactly you know and w when i grew up chesa was so important for us because of the fact that it was the moment we brought family together uh, right? and it was just that that's what i remember the most back it, to the love how we all came together uh, multiple generations you know Perhaps it's it was an excuse. Yeah, yeah. For reunions. But now it's not. It's not that big of a deal for my parents either. They're it's not, they're tired. They're yeah. fucking tired. They're tired. So they're thinking think terms that are a lot, a lot more practical about you know exactly. who's going to remember them. How old always, they'll... always. That's like it, like Koreans really need to learn that. It's like do what you can manage. Do not overexert. You don't need to kill yourself to do anything. That's yeah. not the way to live life, you know? Like, the reason why, you know, Cheza was also resented is because women resented it. You mm -hmm. know, it's not it's not fucking grandpa and uncle and dad in the kitchen cooking alongside them. It's fucking mom waking yeah. up at 3 a.m. to cook for a huge family. Yeah. And to serve the ghosts. You know, like, it's a lot it's... for one woman to do. Yeah. Uh, so, so like even the concept of chesa, like these these uh traditions and cultures, like they they cannot stay in a rigid sort of space. If yeah. you insist on the rigidity, that's when the tension and the rage and the blaming and the agony happens. That's where you bring on more more shitty ghosts. You know, it's like do what you can manage. Just the intention is what matters. Like in in your family's intention, it was like reunion gathering together us lovely right <laughs> follow the loveliness follow the love follow the ease don't do anything but that you know yeah oh love it i love it i love that you're in this you know like you're in a transition phase too absolutely and, and you're like re sort of uh realigning in this new space like your identity is also realigning and catching up to a newer you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
and I think part of you know why I'm I'm so grateful that you you asked me to be part of this podcast is that I don't know the community. I don't have a community yet, right? Um, I'm still mm-hmm. learning about things. And it was when when we were at at Peter's birthday party, I was overwhelmed that there's so many people that were part of uh, uh, the industry, right? Yeah. And, um, or, you know, attempting to be part or, you know, working in some ways, shape or form, like really living a creative life. Yeah. And I saw that I'm not, I'm not great with uh, uh, crowds, right? Uh-huh. Or, um, yeah. So, okay, I had to make yeah. a quick exit. But um, it is the thing that, like, I was so impressed by. Mm-hmm. And it was also because so many of that group, right, that was there, they, they all look like us. And I'm mm-hmm. like, God, right? It's a voice. It's a representation that I think, like, that we can have this conversation is just, it It, it means a lot. So I, yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. It, and it helps us to be brave. It's like, oh, I'm yeah. not alone. I don't have to feel alone and afraid. It's like they're being brave too. They're being brave too. Like, oh, and I'm so grateful for you, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, um, no. Thank you for making the time. I'm so happy that I went to Peter's birthday party too, because you know, it's like it's Peter. <laughs> he's a, he's a personality, you know. No, absolutely. That's why that's why the people gather because he's a personality. <laughs> but it's like I I always notice like around Peter like there's like an orbit of like like fun and interesting people, you know. And I'm glad that like we got to meet and talk and hang out and you know. And I'm grateful that you got to make this time today too. So thank you. No, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you.